Indiana, toasting a taste to the whiskey world. All that corn and water across the state, that limestone in southern Indiana, perfect ingredients for Blake Jones to create a Hoosier distilling juggernaut, West Fork Whiskey. Time to belly up to the bar to get to know Blake and the story behind how he and his brother and another Bedford buddy risked it all to make their mark in the bourbon business and on Indiana tourism. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. We are raising a glass this week to Blake Jones, co-founder and president of West Fork Whiskey, one of the hottest bourbon brands in Indiana and the Midwest. It took Blake, his brother Julian, and childhood friend David McIntyre less than a decade and just about every dime they had to help restore Indiana's rich distilling history. West Fork started in a warehouse on the west side of Indianapolis in 2014 and now operates as a cornerstone for agritourism in Hamilton County. And I am pleased to be joined on the Business and Beyond podcast by Blake Jones, co-founder of West Fork Whiskey, uh, a real Indiana success story uh, doing things, a lot of things, obviously, in the distilling business, but uh, it's about a lot more as well. Blake, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So how's the whiskey business? You know, we were talking just before we started recording, um, you know, with inflation and high interest rates and uh, folks seem to not be as confident in the medium to long term, or at least the short term right now. You know, we in the whiskey business say, it, uh, thankfully, people always drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we want to talk about uh, how you started because it is a startup success story about how you and your partners got got rolling. But Want to fast forward if we can for uh, right now to where you're at now in Westfield. You've got you made quite an investment, have quite a presence uh, with the uh, West Fork Distillery in uh, in Westfield, which is uh, it's about distilling, agritourism, restaurants, so many things going on. Give us a description of this distillery in Westfield, which is right across the street, basically from Grand Park Sports Campus. Uh, not basically, literally right across the street. So uh, on the north side of Grand Park, there's 191st Street, and we are literally directly across the street. Um, and so, you know, you did you did a pretty good job, you know, listing a few of the business elements that we have up there. It's definitely multifaceted. But the, the reason why we created a tourism space and a couple bars, family-friendly restaurant, education area, event center, and ultimately control 25 and a half acres there was to be complimentary um, to our whiskey business and really try to propel the whiskey business and, and, and introduce the whiskey business in West Fork to as many folks as possible. So we've got a family-friendly restaurant. We have an education facility up there. We have a 21-year-old cocktail lounge, event center. So we do tours, tastings. You know, we like to feed people. We say good food with good drinking. Um, so that for those folks at Grand Park that maybe need a little bit of break, um, you yeah. know, come over and, and imbibe a little bit. But yeah, it's to elevate the company because um, we'll talk about this. I'm sure this the startup and how we got started. But um, you know, we love being there. We're only about eight months into that location, and and what you see is phase one 
for that. And it was about $10 million, a little bit over because of inflation. Yeah. Uh, um, but about $10 million for phase one. And, and we're really just getting started. Yeah. Well, you, you, you say phase one that you've got a uh, phase one is big. I mean, I, I've been there. It's, it's quite impressive. Uh, how's how's the uh, uh, the reaction been from from consumers? How, how's business gone these first uh, eight months or so? Well, I'll tell you this: um, as anybody who's probably done something new, right, or taken on some risk, there's there's always mistakes that happen. And so we did stub our toe a little bit out of the gate. We've never run a risky uh, a, a restaurant before. You know, we've been in the whiskey business for gosh, I guess about seven eight years. You know, really small at first, and have grown substantially. Um, so I tell you, running a restaurant is really different than running uh, just mainly a wholesale whiskey business. Yeah. Um, so that took some time to figure out, but I really think we're hitting our stride right now, finding what people want from us, adapting to that really quickly. That was certainly the biggest challenge out of the gate as we're about eight months in, but we feel really good about where we are. And, and I think the reception is is becoming overwhelmingly positive. We We say... If we can make eight or nine out of 10 people happy in the hospitality business, we're doing pretty good. Um, and that's what we strive for. And I think we're hitting that mark. What, what to talk about those challenges. You know, a lot of people say, hey, we want to own a bar or we want to own a restaurant. And it's it, it, it's a tough business. What, what were some of the challenges you faced on the restaurant side of things? Well, I think for me, um, you know, we've put our whiskey out to the public and gotten feedback for years, um, you know, overwhelmingly positive, but as anything you do, you know, you're going to have some detractors, right. You're going to run into some, some, some people that aren't, aren't as supportive. And so with the hospitality business, you know, we see thousands and thousands of people a month and our restaurant is packed on the grand park weekends from 11 to 10 o'clock. And everyone expects you to treat them like they're the only people there. Uh, and we strive to do that. We really do strive to do that. Uh, but in this environment where folks are expecting more to show up for work, maybe they're not showing up for work, they're coming and going. It's hard to retain people, even though we offer benefits and and pay above average. It, it was really difficult early on to get consistency correct. And so we overspent on food, we overspent on people. Um, and I'll tell you, that hurt a little bit um, yeah. out of the gate. And so that was really the main thing. Um, was really just providing a consistent experience and providing good, consistent core group of folks that that um, we could rely on. Yeah, you strike me as someone who's very passionate about what you're doing, passionate about whiskey and distilling. And and I know you mentioned the education piece of that. You know, I think, uh, and, and I was one of them. I think, you know, bourbon, you know, it comes from Kentucky. But Indiana has... A, a real whiskey, uh, you know, heritage, right? And you you want to kind of tap in into that. Absolutely. I mean, what most people may or may not know is the largest producer of American whiskey, including bourbon and rye, is in Indiana, in Lawrenceburg, at uh, Midwest Green Products. Um, they have another name they go by a little bit here as well for their own branded. Um, and then obviously we've got some other great whiskey providers. And and before prohibition. You know, Kentucky wasn't the only state doing it. Um, a lot of folks on the East Coast, um, a lot of our, our founding fathers of our country were distillers and they distilled rye. Um, and Indiana certainly had some large, very large commercial distilleries that were killed because of prohibition. Um, and so the folks down in Kentucky got medicinal licenses and sure, they made whiskey early on as well, but that gave them a leg up when uh, they could actually sell product and nobody else could. So really elevated them for the future. Bourbon is America's native spirit. It can come from anywhere in America based on our trade agreements. 
And so there are obviously some parameters about how you make bourbon, but uh, if good corn, good hard limestone water and temperature fluctuations are good for bourbon, why are we making some of the best bourbon in the world right <laughs> yeah. here in Indiana? Because we've got all three of those. Yeah, good point. So you grew up in Bedford. How, how did ultimately, how, how did you get into the whiskey business? How did, uh, what, uh, what really sparked that interest and that desire to get you uh, into the business? Yeah, so all three co-founders are from Bedford. Um, I was actually born in New York. Uh, my family opened a small business. Uh, he was a physician. Uh, my father was in, in Southern Indiana. So we came, moved back to to Bedford and he was from Southern Indiana and, and grew up in a small town. And and obviously, you know, not people, not many people want to be entrepreneurs when they grow up, but me and my business partners, which is my childhood best friend and my brother. So don't don't start a business with friends and don't start business with family. And I did both. And you know, we always wanted to be entrepreneurs. And we did talk about early on in college when we were turning 21, you know, living the bachelor life, opening a bar, living above it. And and really it just naturally progressed as we became professionals. Um, we started getting into whiskeys. First it was Scotch and Irish, then it was bourbon. And we saw what happened with craft beer over 20, 30 years and and really wine before that in the 60s and 70s and 80s out of California. And you know, we loved the spirit. Um, we started drinking it and and everything we could get our hands on, cheap expensive my father got into it and became kind of an amateur collector and and you know i, I was in banking um, after i graduated from iu um, my undergrad originally went to wayne mary um you were then, you were a kicker right did you play football i did i did play is a loose term for for those folks that are hardcore football people but yes i was i was a kicker yeah uh, for a year and a half at wayne mary before i transferred to iu um, the guy in front of me was an All-American. I wasn't going to play until my junior or senior, maybe redshirt senior year. And and I say you can do you can do two out of three things in college. You can either play sports and have good grades. You can be social and play sports, but you can't do all three. Get good grades, <laughs> play sports, and be social. Right. And uh, I knew I was never going to go pro. So for me, it was it was more about building my network and and being studious. And so came back home to Indiana and, and graduated and went into insurance and then banking and. Got into whiskey because of the passion on the side. Yeah, we'll talk about, again, a classic startup story. You and your two partners uh, uh, had a location, I think, or got a location on the northwest side of, of Indy, and that's where it all started. What do you remember about those those really early days? Oh, besides the fact it was long nights and weekends, and we were very poor. We were 25, 26. Um, I was going to part-time MBA school at Butler. Um, I was working at, at Huntington Bank. Uh, downtown at their their kind of Indiana headquarters and and uh, you know got married and again we went through some due diligence looked at the economics you know tasted a lot of stuff and and it's illegal to distill at home it's unlike beer beer making and wine making and so we knew we would want to do this professionally um, one day and so we don't want to jeopardize our company by testing anything at home um, so we did it the right way we we rented a warehouse, we bought a still, then that gives you the right to apply for your distilling licenses. And at that time, you had to wait three years to have a tasting room and literally cashed out our 401ks. We're in a ton in it, obviously we were young, but maxed out credit cards, as many credit cards as we could get from Chase at the time, got a small SBA loan that we guaranteed. We put money in the company, every paycheck that automatically went from our paychecks to the to the business account. And Literally, we're working nights and weekends. We were we were spending, I don't know, 20, 24 hours there in two days on a Saturday and Sunday, wow. figuring out how we wanted to make whiskey, why we wanted to make whiskey the way that we did to create a really strong base for our company in the future. 
And we were in that warehouse for about two years um, before we moved down to Kennedy King and opened a, a new distillery and tasting room. As you got that business started, you obviously saw an opening uh, here in Indiana to to do that. The craft beer business, the brewing business ha- has exploded. Uh, you know, it's kind of shaken out a little bit now, but uh, distilling takes longer, obviously, and yeah. a little slower process there and those kinds of things. But did did the the success of the the folks on the craft beer side, I think there was some collaboration there at the state house and other things. Did that help the distilling business kind of kind of get off the ground and get rolling here in Indiana? You know, I think what it did for us in the distilling business when when I think about it and try to put it simply is is it really um, kind of taught consumers or allowed consumers to be more adventurous with their drinking um, and and more open with their drinking instead of just drinking what, you know, they maybe the few brands they saw on the shelf um, or maybe what their their parents or their siblings drank. Um, and so craft beer really did that. You know, there, there was there wasn't a ton of quality or variety in beer before craft beer. There was there is variety and quality in spirits before craft spirits. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it, it gave people kind of the OK to go out and try new things and learn new things. But but you're right on the whiskey business. We don't make vodka. We don't make gin. We don't make liqueurs. You know, and our, our cash flow cycle is four plus years. Um, yeah. so it does take a lot longer. But yeah, I, I would say absolutely that craft beer helped, you know, craft spirits because um, craft spirits really is still in its infancy. Yeah. Talk, talk about that first tasting room, uh, downtown Indianapolis, right? Downtown Indianapolis, Kenny King. So I guess for those purists, maybe yeah. it's not exactly downtown, but but kind of old north side, just north of downtown. Um, we always want to be kind of close to the urban core of the city and in the fabric of the city. Um, and so again, went out and borrowed as much money as a, as a bank would give us. We actually, this was right before we quit our jobs. Um, so we rolled over our banking bonuses into the company as well, uh, built a little tasting room and, um, you know, we had 24 seats at the time we finally got kind of, it was a 300 gallon still, which is kind of the bare minimum to be, uh, economic and sustainable at that time in 2017, opening that and, and. It was a success. We had a line around the block, one wow. Indy's best new bar, best whiskey bar, a bunch of rewards right out of the gate. And uh, that really set the groundwork uh, for the years to come. Was there a moment when you kind of realized or thought, hey, this this is going to work? You know, any any startup, you know, a lot of doubts. You don't know, oh, man, I don't know if it's going to work or not. But you talk about lying around the, you, you know, out the door and th- that kind of thing. Was there a kind of a light bulb moment? You say, man, I think this is going to work. Well, I think, uh, you know, as any entrepreneur, you still have doubt. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. I just watched, you know, Air, you know, talking about a Nike deal with Michael Jordan. And I'm sure Phil Knight, even when they were a billion dollar company, thought they would fail at times. Yeah. Right. And I think that's pretty common in every entrepreneur's life cycle. But that was kind of the first experience, you know, when we opened that and there was a line again around the block and we had to have a you know security guard letting one in, one out. And we're a cocktail bar, right? We're on a club. You don't do this <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, that was kind of the first hit where it was like, hey, this this thing may actually work. We may actually be able to do this really for a living for the medium to long term. But of course, there's been doubts since since yeah. then. As we take bigger and bigger risk, especially with products that take four, six, eight years, you know. A lot of risk there, and and we still have doubts, but you know we're we're battling every day. Yeah, talk talk about that because I think that's interesting. You know that that runtime, that that amount of time it takes to to produce a product. So you're you're banking on them being successful, and they're not always going to be successful. 
what goes into the process of determining you know a new line of of spirits uh, uh you're in the you've got canned cocktails right that's kind of a that's kind of a hot hot market is that that worked out well it's it's a fickle market and and just like in real estate or i guess any business you know we have to create you know use, use our product in the best way right that brings the highest and best values for our shareholders um, and investors in our company and and with bourbon you know it doesn't matter to to the consumer that it takes you know minimum ideally two years i you know, really four to six or four to eight and um that's a lot more expensive obviously than making a vodka or or, uh, or maybe a malt based uh ready to drink can cocktail and so they still want to the consumers still want to pay 10 to 12 bucks um mm. for a four pack or even less and so for us we did get in the business for a while we're still in the business but it is a very very small segment um for us mm. And so it, it's a fickle market. The margins are razor thin and you've got to do a lot of volume to make any money. Yeah. Um, as opposed to selling a bottle of whiskey, they don't retail for 30 to $90, right? You're selling a four pack at $9.99 at retail. And, and, you know, that's what the retailer's getting. That's not what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, and so we've got, we've, we've got out of that market a little bit. We're selling it a little bit just to, just to play. But when we're creating new products, I mean, it's it's both about we got to be close to our consumer. We got to always get their feedback as we're developing new products. But you know, I hate to say it, it's kind of finger lick your finger, put it in the wind sometimes to be like, yeah. hey, what are consumers going to like in six to eight years, ten years? Yes, yeah. yeah. the whiskey business, and that's that's a hard one. Um, but what we're confident in is is folks will always on the bourbon side appreciate sweeter, smooth drinking bourbon, and and we do that all day. And we'll do that for years to come. Much more with Blake Jones, co-founder of West Fork Whiskey. Want to talk more about that that major distilling destination, I guess you'd call it, in Westfield. Major investment uh, in a uh, really hot market. We'll talk about that and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Blake Jones, entrepreneur, co-founder of West Fork Whiskey, uh, a, a real Hoosier startup success story with a major investment and a major presence in one of the fastest growing cities in Indiana, Westfield. Blake, uh, again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, Westfield, as we touched on in, in the first half of the podcast, major investment there. G- give us a, really a, a, a thumbnail description because you've got the distilling piece, restaurant, as you mentioned, you had some some challenges out of the gate that have been kind of corrected now. But this this agritourism tourism piece too is a real education piece that's that's interesting. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, folks today, I feel like want an authentic experience and they want to experience their brand, kind of feel it and touch it. 
Um, and so while we did have the tasting room and still do have the tasting room in Kennedy King, you know, near downtown, we needed to provide and elevate our education uh, business in order to not just grow our brands, but also grow the bourbon and whiskey market. Um, because the more people that come into the market, the better for everybody. And so we're still developing the education side right now. We offer a couple different tastings and tours. Um, but due to supply chain, um, inflation and, and some other things, we're still not quite up and running um, on the distilling side. We have most of our equipment up there still working through some engineering. So we're kind of education light that'll be elevated in the back half of this year with full tours, full tasting, full classes. We're going to start like a, a whiskey university where it's 100, 200 and 300 level courses for those folks that really want to want to learn a lot, not just about our brands, but bourbon and whiskey in, in, in general. And again, it's all about growing the market and yeah. educating the consumer, which ultimately creates a, a more sticky product for us, yeah. right? Yeah. Talk, talk about your uh, your lineup of brands and uh, what all you offer. Yeah. So we're in the whiskey business. Um, you know, some distilleries may have whiskey in their name, but they make vodka and gin and, and some other things. You know, we want to be really good at one thing and that's making brown goods. And, and really for us, we say we're hell-bent on creating uniquely Indiana bourbons and whiskeys. Um, it's kind of our tagline. It's, it's what we talk, preach every day. Um, so for that, you know, it's it's really corn forward. It's sweet, a um, little bit robust, but it, it's corn forward and sweet, smooth bourbons and whiskeys and sometimes high proof. And so not just do we have our West Fork whiskey brands, but we resurrected a brand called Old Hamer and Hugh Hamer. Um, in 2019, that was originally made in the 1800s and in, uh, actually in Spring Mill, which is in Lawrence County, where we're from. Uh, they had a distillery down there and they're actually resurrecting one uh, with a partnership out of another distillery in Southern Indiana, which is pretty neat. But one of the brands that they made and sold a little bit was Old Hamer. And so we brought that brand back to life. Uh, to my knowledge, we're the first people in the country to really market a 99% corn, 1% malted barley, straight bourbon whiskey. Um, and so that brand's been sold in up to 13 states and it's, it's been rated above 90 points by wine enthusiasts, tasting panel magazine, you know, big awards at a lot of competitions and it's, it's a great drinking bourbon offered in a number of different ways, but yeah, we, we do everything for in the bourbon and whiskey game. I mean, corn forward in general, but yeah, we've got rye in some of our products. We got wheat in some of our products. We have malted barley in some of our products to create different flavor profiles within bourbon and whiskey in general. Yeah. Talk, talk about the, your model because Located across the street from uh, the uh, Grand Park Sports Campus, a great location. Obviously, a lot of people in and out of there. But but as, as you look at that 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 partnership, if you will, with Westfield and that that agritourism piece, I've always viewed as you see craft beer uh, the breweries popping up in downtown small towns, and you know it's kind of a, a an attraction for redevelopment. I would assume you know the distilling business distilleries. Same thing, have the ability to be drivers for economic development. You know, so much, so many communities focus on quality of place, quality of life. This would fit kind of right into that that piece. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Westfield needs needs a ton of, of uh, economic development. They're growing like <laughs> weed, right? I think they yeah. say they're going to double in size in five to 10 years. But we chose Westfield because when we were looking in central Indiana to to figure out where we we're going to put this tourism and agro-tourism um, kind of education facility, new production facility. Um, we wanted to be close to a highway. We needed to obviously be able to afford where we're going. And ultimately, folks, when they look at whiskey distilleries, um, they expect some form of rural experience. Now, that's not always the case. I'm not yeah. saying that's always the case, but you know, because of Kentucky, and, and they expect that a little bit. And so 
Westfield kind of ticked all those boxes. Great infrastructure. We're a couple minutes off the highway. And then Grand Park was a bonus. Um, if we could be next to another asset that brought in tour, tourism besides just us, that's huge. It's a huge marketing tool for me as I grow. And so, you know, again, I'm not sure if Westfield really needed the economic development, but we found some land from a farmer um, who'd had some offers, you know, over a few whiskeys and shaking hands. He decided to, to sell us his land. Ultimately, we've got 25 and a half acres literally directly across the street from Grand Park. Um, and so phase one, again, a little over $10 million investment between the land and building and everything in it. Well, we got phase two up our sleeve over the coming years because we want to create an experience. Yeah. Uh, and we're not going to stop until everybody in Indiana has been there and everybody in the Midwest has been there. And so it's, it's, it's been great. It has, you know, continued to drive, you know, business being next to Grand Park, but being a good community partner, we've held a number of community events. We've held the uh, Westfield winter, winter farmers market. It's very important for us to be a good community member and bring the community together because people need places to eat and drink and come together. Yeah. Well, you talk about that and the timing uh, of this all, as you look at bourbon and the popular, uh, popularity of bourbon, the bourbon trail, of course, in Kentucky, I mean, it's just off the charts in terms of the popularity. And, and I would assume that you you would benefit from that, you know, kind of the timing of things and the way you're branding, the way you're marketing, what you're doing. Yeah, it's not always good to be the be the first, right? It's okay to be fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth, fiftieth, right? And and benefit from what other folks are doing. And and to your point, what the last 20, 30 years and what's happened in Kentucky and 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 what they have done in tourism has really elevated the entire bourbon and whiskey market across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now you know we've seen how that has really helped build brands, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this. And so, yeah, people want, they, they, they crave that experience of, again, touching and feeling the brand and the product and, and experiencing it in a way beyond just pulling a product off the shelf at a, at a local, local retailer. And so it, it's definitely helped. I mean, I mean, California has helped in what they did in the 70s and 80s with wine tourism, um, obviously in bourbon, obviously in craft beer. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of piggybacking off of some of that and that's okay. Right. Yeah, uh, that's it. More affordable for me to get in the market and grow it. You mentioned the state of the industry nationally. As you look at the state of the distilling industry in Indiana, how would you how would you assess it? How uh, players in the market, uh, some successes and uh, those types of things. What's what's the general take of the distilling business in Indiana? Yeah, thankfully, I'm I'm the vice president of the Indiana Distillers Guild, um, and so I get to talk with with some of the folks, some of the major you know players in Indiana for sure regularly. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a very capital intensive industry, mm-hmm. um, definitely more than beer, definitely more than wine, because, you know, I talked a little bit about that cash flow cycle and that long product life cycle. And and, and so it, it it's it's tough um, for those folks who really want to make whiskey and bourbon because of the capital intensity and, you know, nature of it. But, yeah, bourbon's exploding, but the time, frankly, sucks to make the product. And there are definitely some success stories. Um, but again, inflation and and the higher cost of everything. I mean, our barrels went up 50%. That before wow. we even lost in 12 months, and that's before we even put liquor in it. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that's left and right. You know, it's not just barrels, it's grain, it's it's people, it's it's everything. And and you know, that that's certainly, you know, shaking some people up right now. And and you're seeing it in the beer business. You'll see it in other businesses as well, I'm, I'm sure, because consumer goods always seem to get hit first, right? And so, but I would say we have a really strong medium to long-term future. But we're, again, we're in its infancy. Craft beer holds about a 13% market share. 
craft spirits are really only sitting around a 6% market share. So there's, there's billions and billions of dollars to be had across the United States in the coming years. And uh, that's what we're all fighting for. But yeah, I, I think in the medium to long term, it's a strong industry and you're gonna have great players here in Indiana. What's next for West Fork Whiskey in Westfield? Uh, you've got phase one, uh, looking at phase two and, and what's next. Talk about uh, growth plans. Yeah, I mean, we're not done. We need more um, warehouses to store whiskey. We want to continue to cultivate this experience, this idea of agro-tourism experience and education. So while we only offer a couple things today around that, that that product suite, if you will, or line of business, if you will, is going to be dramatically expanded for years to come. You know, I can't commit to anything, but if you can dream it, we're probably dreaming of it too. Um, so, you know, maybe a whole West Fork district, uh, some rack houses, maybe some live entertainment, um, again, more education experience, maybe some living experiences or some overnight experiences. So, you know, we're, we're in the planning stages of that right now. Again, we've got 25 and a half acres to play with and a lot of people across the street. Um, and so I, I imagine, you know, if it sounds fun to you, we're probably talking about it. Uh, and so hopefully we'll make some major announcements in the next 12 to 24 months around that. All right. Blake Jones, co-founder at West Fork Whiskey, uh, the consummate entrepreneur, making a big, uh, a big, not only a big investment, but a big difference in Westfield, Central Indiana, and ultimately throughout the state as well. Blake, I really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on the success. Look forward to following uh, your progress uh, in Westfield and beyond. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. It's a weekly conversation with Achievers in Business, Sports, Entertainment, and Beyond, presented by PNC. And you can uh, listen to all episodes, all 115-plus episodes, and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.